0: CNAS is launching its second chapter in the Women in National Security podcast series titled The Last Word. What's the last word women in the field want to have about being a woman in national security? Subscribe to CNAS podcast for a new story every week. Lauren DeYoung-Shulman. I'm here with our second episode of the second chapter of the Women in National Security podcast, and I am so excited to have Samantha Vinograd and Morgan Ortegas here this morning. Good morning, ladies. Good morning. morning. So in this second series, we are interviewing women from a lot of different backgrounds in national security, but I wanted to start primarily with how you guys met, which I know is a sort of fascinating Mm -hmm. story.
1: About 10 years ago. Eleven. uh, We didn't have to go there, but yes, 11. (laughs) Morgan and I were both serving in Baghdad. This is around July or August 2017. And uh, there weren't a whole lot of women there. And I was pretty lonely, to be totally honest. Uh, This was right after we had surged. Lots of troops uh, running around Iraq. uh, Lots of rockets coming in. And really, honestly, when work ended didn't have anyone to really talk to other than Skyping my mom. And uh there was within the Republican Palace where the embassy was, there was a coffee shop called the Green Bean. And going to the Green Bean every day was kind of the high point because it was a break from the work and this normalcy of getting a cup of coffee amidst all this other bad stuff made things uh seem a little bit easier. And lo and behold, went down to the Green Bean one day and turned my head and looked across the room it was love at first sight and my eyes locked <laughs> with this beautiful young woman uh, named Morgan the only Artangas. other woman in like 400 basically miles. I mean I hate to say it but it was a lot of there were a lot of cargo pant men in cargo pants with with guns and there just weren't a lot of young women so that's right uh, our eyes locked and from then on it was a, a love story
2: and we I mean we did some pretty cool stuff in Baghdad like we attended Shabbat services. I think I actually was more faithful about attending Shabbat services than you were, <laughs> FYI. Don't
1: tell my parents. But,
2: um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think you find religion in a war zone. So there, there's some cool experiences like that, like celebrating Hanukkah and Saddam's palace, Shabbat services there that are just one of those surreal things that will go into the book if we ever write
1: it. And, you know, the the funny thing about Baghdad was there were women but most of them were in very specific roles and so finding women that were involved in the policy space or the intelligence space or the programmatic space just didn't happen as much and so uh, it actually Morgan and I are both twins made me realize how much having that kind of female confidant mattered uh, particularly in that kind of environment and so getting off of work after a really tough day and having you to go complain to and maybe gossip with a little bit was great. So, you've both fit in,
0: you know, maybe seven careers into a span of about 10 years or so. Uh but can you just walk through the the you know highlights version of how did you guys, you you met in Baghdad, you were Mm -hmm. both working, you were were both working at Treasury? Sam
2: was at Treasury. Mm -hmm. I was actually state detailed to USAID. Got it. So I was in the USAID. And then then when we both got back to the US, I actually, right, Sam, I I got back to the US before Sam did. And so Sam was coming back to Treasury, and I actually got a job in uh, the financial intelligence portion of Treasury. So Mm -hmm. we were in different offices, but we did have some overlap at Treasury. And soon after, because she's so talented, the White House um, picked up Sam and and which I think is always an an important note that I remember when it happened, she was very young for an incredibly big job at the White House mm-hmm. and beat out a couple of people that we both knew. And I remember there being like a little bit of like jealous talk from the people who didn't get it. and i and I said, "I think this is the most amazing thing ever. I would dream for this job. I think it's great. and i and I really feel like, one of the ways that we've always forged a friendship, and maybe it has something to do with being twins, is there's never been any jealousy or competition. Mm-hmm. And when she does something amazing or I do, like my biggest fan, other than, you know, my husband and my mom, is Sam. And I think vice versa. And I think that's really, really important as women that we should be proud and happy and promote each other.
0: So, Sam, you were at the, the NSC as a director and then moved on to be a senior advisor to Tom Donilon. Uh, give me a thirty-second version of what was that like?
1: Uh, not a lot of sleep. Uh, a lot of that free diets, right from the uh, mess every day. But it was a whirlwind, and I miss mm-hmm. it every day. Uh, it is a constant rush of adrenaline as you're trying to get as deep as possible on any given issue at any given time. And so it's this mental agility that I've actually tried to carry through to other other parts of my career. And it's also this crazy balancing act and you know this because you did the same role, but you're trying to deal with that immediate tactical issue, whether it's a terrorist attack or, you know, Tom needs a very specific figure before he goes and does a briefing to all of that longer term planning. And so while while you're dealing with that tactical project, what are you doing on climate change? What are you doing on a development issue in Africa? And so it's that mental balance, I think. um, And Morgan, you and I have both served in business since leaving government that I've tried to take with me. Um, And it's tough. And I remember Tom and I got into this uh, process where at the end of each day, I closed the door and would not leave his office until we ran through the tactical and the strategic just to make sure that we didn't spend less time on the planning part um as we did on whatever the issue of the day was
0: and morgan you spent how many
2: years in government when you came oh well i mean i'm still technically in because i'm an officer in the reserves (laughs) so um i joined gosh how old was i i guess i was 24 when i came into government so last year and i'm not telling how old i am now so it was just two years ago i guess government service i and, and and being in the reserves um i've yeah, over the last decade,
0: and you made a tr- transition that I think when you're in government, you always have these fantasies of like, oh, the private sector—it's so mm. different out there. But you made an incredibly successful t- transition to a private sector career in business, uh, but still have kind of continued in that national security space. Can you talk a little bit about that,
2: that transition? Yeah, I, I think it was a difficult transition at first because I, I, you know, I September 11th happened whenever I was a sophomore in college. I was studying to be an opera singer. That didn't work out, clearly. And um, and so I transitioned to studying political science. And, and so I never, if someone had told me, you know, fast forward, that I'd be on Wall Street or, or working at a major financial corporation, I mean, I would have been like... Um, I'm not very good at math. I don't see that happening. So I think that there's, it's interesting going in and out of government. There's so many rewarding things about being a part of the mission. And I think that that's why I stay active as an officer in the Navy Reserves, because for me, still having my foot in the water and hey, it's only one week in a month, but I'm still a part of, um, of serving my country is really important to me. But I think that there's a lot of ways in business that you can get that same fulfillment. I've built up, to global teams at, at my firm and and building teams and looking at how public policy and geopolitics affect business has been incredibly rewarding for me so i think i've been lucky that i've been able to have a business career but also on a daily basis use my my government experience for that
1: and just to add it's been interesting you know i just got out of the tech space and morgue and i have talked about this but you know people policy in a business sense isn't the kind of policy that we did in government it's to drive revenue at the end of the day you know if you leave aside the corporate philanthropy stuff it's to make your business function better and I think before maybe five ten years ago when communication was a little bit slower companies particularly in California and Lauren I know you've spent time out there there could be more of a disconnect with the policy world and the national security world um, and I think that in an area of instantaneous communication businesses have to interact with policymakers and not just on the kind of financial regulatory side. And we're seeing this a lot now on, for example, Russian information warfare and what's happening with the tech companies and uh, Facebook, Twitter, Google, what have you. And this need to have a more constructive and not just reactive conversation with policymakers. It's an opportunity. But I think it's gonna take a whole transition how businesses think about what policymakers do. There's still antipathy on both sides. Everyone thinks they know better as, as you remember mm-hmm. and as you know. Yeah. And so it's like finding that sweet spot in the Venn diagram.
0: So you've both transitioned through a series of roles where you were a woman in a space that was, as a Being a woman in that space was sometimes isolating and somewhat isolated, in the sense that you were sometimes the only woman in the room, or that maybe there were other women in the room, but they were seen as the more junior or outsider staff, and yet you've both been very successful in all of these roles. When people ask you, what is it like to be a woman in national security, whether it's uh, a Naval Reserve officer or in business or in government or overseas, what do you tell them, and is your answer different depending on the kind of audience that you have?
1: Uh my answer is not different and my answer is always the same which is just to be authentically you. Mm-hmm. I think that there is and I was guilty of this beginning at the beginning of my career. It's like you try to conform to what you, or I did at least. I tried to conform to what I thought people thought I should be. So you're you know as a woman in a war zone you want i wanted to be really spirited and not show any sign that yes of course it's frightening when a mortar hits the embassy and you're in it but to almost be overly brave or overly stoic and i think at the white house i felt like i had something to prove i could not sleep at all uh exist on caffeine and candy and again prove that i was as tough as all of the guys um and uh, n- more recently, being in my mid-30s and um, not having a family and just being on my own, I found myself apologizing a lot for really just, I love to work. It's just who I am. And turned 35 and thought, you want to know what? This is just me. And so if being authentically female to me means working a lot, enjoying it, and waking up every day excited about what that day would bring professionally then that's okay and i think that's been a maturation thing for me and not trying to be whatever an audience thought i should be in a particular setting i don't know about you Morgan. no i
2: totally i think that's great i totally agree with that and i think in terms of being authentically you it's also i i've learned i would say in my 20s in government i tried to hide the feminine side right like I, i'm super feminine you know like i did beauty pageants when i was in college and i used to like want to hide that i didn't want anyone to know and then i think maybe this happens as you as you get older but then i started to realize you know what like i'm qualified on an m4 at a six hour and and i have like an amazing shoe collection and i would love to wear makeup and i'm not going to hide all like i'm not going to suppress one side of me because I don't fit in your little box, whatever box you want to put me in. And as I've embraced my feminine side and and not, and by the way, I don't think every woman needs to be super femme. I just happen to be. And as I I have embraced that side of me, I've realized that there's um, many ways, believe it or not, even in the military in which that side is important, right? When you've got a bunch of um, testosterone filled men in the room and even though I'm just as Type A as every guy in the room, the fact that I do have a more feminine, uh, you know, side and, and maybe a bit more nurturing, there's ways, you know, in the mission without going into too many details that that can be used um, uh, to the benefit. And I would say this the same thing in business, right? There's different uh, management styles and there's and there's different um, leadership styles. So um, I, I think that you hit the nail on the head, Sam, about being authentically you. And know, I would say don't, you know, as a woman. I definitely tried to suppress that feminine side of me in my 20s. And now in my mid-30s, I'm, I'm sort of saying this is who I am. And, and actually, there's a, really, there's a lot of tangible benefits to embracing um, that side of womanhood. And it's interesting
1: how other women react as well. And this is something uh, Lauren, you and I work together. But to see how other women support each other, react to each other when we all do fulfill different roles and I've had mixed experience to be totally honest and I think that just proves a point that a female boss is just like any boss but you know I had a boss at the White House who was I felt purposely harder on me because I was female and uh, then had another boss at the White House who went out of her way to be a female mentor and so it's interesting to see these different ways that women relate to each other Um, and for me at least Now, as there are younger women and they ask what it's like to be a woman in national security, I just tell them, be you and do what makes you happy and everyone will support you regardless of whether they're they're male or female. But I, I think that, you know, the whole Me Too movement has made a lot of us more honest about the experiences that we've had. That's true. And I hope more willing to speak up. Um, you know, we maybe it's a generational thing, but we've all encountered sexual harassment in the workplace. And I
2: almost don't know a woman who hasn't.
1: Yeah. And so I, I hope that now in an industry that's still male dominated, those women ten years younger are gonna be more mm-hmm. willing to speak up. And we just didn't really have as many options of who to tell or what to do.
0: Yeah. So On this point of being a woman in national security, that word security is a really loaded term in so many ways uh, because we we talk about it very generically as a field that we're all serving Mm -hmm. in in some capacity. But uh, physical security, the security to be yourself, um, the, the security that comes with talking about military foreign policy issues, these are all things that we had to navigate on a day-to-day basis, and I want, to, you know, Sam and I, you and I, have talked about this. Um, can you kind of walk through this whole premise of uh, what a security meant to you as a woman?
1: Sure. So I'll start. Um, I think with Baghdad, maybe we can both talk about this first. But it was awful when I was there. It was oh seven, oh eight, and when you're twenty-four and it's the middle of a war and you're a civilian, they send you out with no training. They teach you how to shoot an AK-47 and don't tell you that the biggest threat to your life is going to be 15 mortars coming in a day. And so huge physical insecurity. And honestly, they don't tell you that when you're a woman in the middle of a war zone with, gosh, how many troops do we have then? Um, 100,000. Or more, many of whom were male. It's strange walking around uh, at night surrounded by men with guns. It, it's an unusual feeling. And so I think the first part of my career was that physical insecurity, as well as, to come back to an earlier point, just insecurity about being a woman in a very male-dominated field intellectually and learning how to express ideas, how to manage, and how to be a colleague, when it's just a bunch of dudes. I mean, that just, that, that personal insecurity, perhaps, I don't know if you have the same thing. That was something that I was very conscious of. Mm-hmm. And needed to mentally get over and to say, yeah, I'm a female, and it's a table full of men. But I can express myself. I can have a different opinion, and no one's going to think that I'm, you know, whiny or complaining or anything like that. So, just a, a quick point that some of our listeners who are who are younger or did not
0: uh, come up in government around this time period, I think it was more or less the norm um, in the late 2000s, late Bush administration, early Obama administration, that if you wanted to be a big name in national security, if you wanted to succeed in government, you went to a war zone. And thinking back on that as a civilian totally. is yeah. completely bizarre in, in a lot of ways, but it was it was such the, the so right. common experience, particularly for women. If you wanted to be taken seriously, you spent six months, a year, four months in a war zone in Iraq or Afghanistan or on, on the borders of that. And it was so rewarding in so many ways for a lot of us. But it was looking back on it such a bizarre kind of prerequisite to be taken seriously. But sorry, Morgan, I, I cut you off on that.
2: No, I, that's a I had never thought about it that way before, Lauren. That's that's really interesting. I, I, I would also say, you know, going back to you know what does security mean? I think uh, after Baghdad, I went to Saudi and served as the um, deputy treasury attaché in Saudi and and helped cover the the region, the Middle East. Um, and talk about being the only woman in the room was, <laughs> that was the, definitely the place where that happened. But you know, I tried to use it to my advantage, right? Cause I knew in most of these governments, and, and Saudi is changing so rapidly, it's kind of amazing to see what's happening right now. But at the time, especially going into all of these government ministries, uh, no women worked there. I mean, it's, n- there weren't even female Tell the assistants. Story. <laughs> yeah. Sam loves the story. I mean, I think, I believe it was the central bank that I went in one of my first meetings and, um, halfway through the meeting maybe towards the end i signaled to the guy next to me hey i need to go to the restroom i thought which would be a very normal question yes the look of panic that (laughs) ensued on his face and then i realized you know he sort of escorted me out and he went over Talked to a few guys, came back, they were all talking, and I thought, what in the world is going on? I just need to go to the bathroom. And so then I started getting taken around the building, and I'm going on this really long walk, and I thought, okay, note to self, do not, you know, don't drink anything for an hour before you go to the ministry. And so we're walking around, and at this point, I'm, now I'm starting to get tickled by it, you know, and I'm sort of chuckling, like, where in the world are we taking me? I think that I got taken, you know, all the way upstairs and like to the private restroom of the central bank governor, and they were just. I said either A, they had no clue how to clean out the guys out of the bathroom, or B, they were like, "What's clean enough for this woman?" Or like, (laughs) "Where do we put this woman?" And so it was. um, That was probably one of my funnier stories. And they were listen. They were they were very kind to me, very nice to me. We had a great working relationship, Uh, but needing to go to the restroom in the central bank was still one of my funniest moments.
0: But then transitioning back to Washington where it's a, a very different environment but has its own kind of barriers and hurdles to being a woman in this field, um, particularly in thinking about your – you made the point about preconceived notions about what, it's, what being a woman means, uh, but then also preconceived notions about what women advocate for in certain policy positions. You know, what was that transition like in thinking about being a woman in security?
1: I'll go first. Uh, I think that there are certain types of issues – that women traditionally did more um and so you know i got into government i wanted to be a spy i was a freshman in college 9 11 happened watched a whole lot of that jennifer garner maybe show alias maybe i still <laughs> watch a whole lot of that show alias i mean that's why i got into government but women i wanted all the wigs i know right I they were so show. great
2: i saw the woman recently the british woman Remember oh yeah her? the blonde i saw her in new york and i was like oh,
1: i love you i I, uh but i think that there there are types of issues that women just traditionally worked on more and for me look i mean i love the intense stuff like give me some north korea give me some like some uh sanctions and that's what makes me jump out of bed every day um and so figuring out how to feel comfortable coming in and saying this is what i like to do uh, and there are other women that love doing all this other stuff, and together we make a great ecosystem, that took time. And it, it took fine feeling, and coming back to the security point, feeling secure enough as a woman and as, as just as a person to express what I like to do. Um, and that's that's been much more of a recent thing, and stopping kind of apologizing and saying, oh, of course, this is what I really love to do, and just on the side, you know, I love talking about Libya sanctions, you know. So it's it's been it's been getting a better sense of personal security. Um, and co- coming back to DC after a war zone. And Lauren, on your point, like I went out to Iraq because they offered me this job and it sounded so cool. Got back and realized that I mean, honestly, in some some degree, they took advantage of us. I didn't know any better. Sent us out with no training, no overhead cover, with rockets coming in. <laughs> and thank goodness i had a civil servant position but a lot of people got back and didn't have jobs they don't give you any counseling when you get when we got back and so you're thrown back into this kind of washington maelstrom and are being told okay go go to work every day um and so that that it took a year to get back into the swing of things Mm -hmm. was it the same for you
2: yeah i think so i mean i i think the one thing for me about washington and i think that's important is is I actually had at, at Treasury, Michael Madden, who you know really well, and, and Michael Newfeld, who's still there. Um, I, I had some really amazing male mentors um, that didn't, um, didn't look at my gender, didn't look at what I look like, nothing, and, and, and just believed in me as an individual. And I think that You know, there's a couple important points that I think that I've gotten out of being women in national security is we're not always going to be lucky enough to have a male, a female mentor, Um, and so that's why we really have to help each other. You know, whether it's in business, whether it's in tech and finance. I mean, Sam and I continue to go into (laughs) male-dominated industries. Um, I see the way the guys interact with each other, and they help each other. They have each other's back. You know, and I often think like we have to do that as women in these male-dominated industries because they're so. Uh, there's so few of us so while i didn't have a, a female mentor in government i had amazing male mentors and i think that for the men uh, it, you know that that care about women's issues and promoting women like don't shy away from mentoring women and, and bring them up i never would have gotten the job as treasury out to shade of saudi if it wasn't for mike madden pushing me i remember had a terrible interview i was like off right when you just have an off interview and he really pushed me through and, and made my career and I think another thing that's really important, that especially here in D.C., that Sam is so good about, and I'm so grateful to this, and you know, it's funny, for the past decade, Sam and I have never focused on the fact that she's a registered Democrat and I'm a registered Republican. It was not something really that I ever thought about. You know, it was just she, that's what she happened to be. And these past few years have been so hyper-partisan that Sam and I really have started to go out to... College universities and various um, uh, events and forums speaking about being bipartisan because it is so not in vogue uh, at the moment. And I think that there's a lot of women um, on the Republican side that do feel a little left behind in the women's movement. That they maybe maybe that person is pro-life, so they feel like they don't fit in, or or maybe they're a Trump supporter, and so they feel like they they don't fit in. Not that all Republican women are. And so that's the one thing that I think is really important is Sam and I have a number of policy agreements, places where we're we're totally lying. We have a number of, of disagreements, but it's important that we all respectfully have the conversation and i i know from the being a republican woman is like is like a double minority and so i at this moment in time but i know that there's a lot of women on the republican side that that probably feel a little left out of the movement so i've been having some dinners and bringing bipartisan women together just because i feel like we can disagree on major issues sam and i have you know peace talks, we won't, we won't talk about the Iran deal anymore, because <laughs> we're never going to agree on it. So we don't talk about it. But but at least we have conversations. And we're not I, I just that's the part where I feel like, I, where I feel like women are especially divided at this moment in time is, is along the partisan lines. And I hate that it doesn't have to be that way. So uh, last question,
0: um, something we're asking all the women who participate in this series is, uh, if you had last thing that you ever had to say about being a woman in national security or maybe the last question you ever wanted to be asked about being a woman in national security what would it be what is your your last word on the topic
1: I think what I would say and this is how I this is just how I start every day so this is just is what else that I've left to do Mm -hmm. because I wake up every day and I think about what when I go to bed that night what's going to make me think I had a successful day and so if it was the last question I ever got, it's like, what's left on that list? Mm-hmm. And it's not, just, it's not just projects, it's personal as well. Um, and most of it honestly is, did I do something that made the people that I love happy? And did I accomplish something? Did I add something of value? So that would probably be the last question.
2: I think the last thing that I would say, especially to the younger women listening, but to, but to all of the, all of the women listening, Um, And I said this earlier is is to help each other, because at the end of the day, I may never be secretary of state and Sam may be. And that doesn't diminish my career, uh, my career objectives or my career success. And when we help each other, it, it only brings all of us up together. So, you know, whether it's searching, uh, I try have a couple of young women in national security that, you know, that I mentor. I spend a lot of time trying to help women um, get into the Navy Reserve and and I will help them. I, I just swore in a friend last year, which is a really cool experience so you can still be um, majorly successful uh, while still helping and promoting other women and guess what maybe someone gets past you maybe they get the big job ahead of you that's okay you can still have a fulfilling life but we will all be better off the more we promote each other advance each other and help each other and it doesn't belittle any of our careers uh, the more that we push our sisters forward
0: ladies this has been incredible thank you so much for joining me this morning